Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. to this week's Attacking Scrum podcast. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I know a lot of people like to uh, to use this podcast as their kind of fix for uh, for getting all the latest news on Welsh rugby. None more so than, uh, than my illustrious co-host, the Mighty Murph, who's informed me he doesn't know anything about the topics we're going to be talking about this week. No. While, uh, while, no. I've been enjoying just, myself it, this weekend, so I, I haven't really followed Welsh Twitter as closely as I normally do. So um, yeah, luckily Steph's here. Exactly, mate. Exactly. Everyone's allowed an off week, and just as well, we've got uh, we've got the man of the moment, Steph Thomas, with us as well. Welcome back, Steph. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks. It's been a busy uh, couple of weeks, but uh, yeah, all good. Th- thanks for the invite. Always, uh, always enjoy coming on this podcast. Uh, it's great to ha- great to have you on, and uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll touch upon. Uh, the uh, the story that you broke last week that continues to uh, that continues to rumble on and um, so we're gonna we're gonna have a look at that we're gonna start though by having a look at Friday night's game the Dragons uh, agonising uh, loss to Cardiff um, it probably wasn't the prettiest game of rugby in the world uh, but definitely a game the Dragons should have won um, and no shortage of drama if not uh, quality of rugby um, do you catch that one Murph yeah yeah saw that one. It was like a long time um, ago, Friday night, but um, it does really, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, the two red, double red cards. I suppose it should have been wide open after that. You know, the first one, it did look it was always going to be a more open game, but somehow when there was another player taken off again after that, there seemed to be less space every time they did that on the pitch. So um, yeah, it got a bit. It got to be a bit of a. Uh, old school derby, which we haven't really had of late. They've been high scoring derbies this year a lot mm. of the time, and it's very traditional sort of um, um, nip and tuck derby game where everyone knows knows each other too well, if you know what I mean. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned the red cards there. We've uh, both you and I, Murph, and and when Steph's been on, we've we've spoken about red cards, particularly in relation to uh, to head contact. Uh, both reds for you, Steph. Yeah, one hundred percent. The right decisions on both occasions. Um, you know, you, you saw, um, uh, you know, Joel Davis come in. It was just straight to the head. I'm not saying that he intended to hurt the player, but you know, when 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 you you connect with the head and it's direct, there's only one option. So um, that was the right decision. Um, the Belcher one, um, the player Will Reed, I think it was, was dipping. So there's a bit more mitigation, but. As the ref said, he's, he was always coming in. He wasn't really attempting to wrap his arms. Shoulder first, again, no option. So uh, the right decisions, I think, on, on both occasions. Yeah, I do as well. I, I thought we were going to get down to one of those situations where the the kind of the, the TMO and the and the assistants were, were almost talking him down a bit, which seems to be happening a bit a bit too often for my liking, but. Ultimately, that one, you know, they're both clear reds for me. Um, that one was probably a lot more dangerous just because of the, the force that was involved. But I just think that that's how those head inju- uh, those head collisions should be uh, should be refereed. That the benefit of the doubt has to go to the, the player who's been hit in the head at the at the end of the day. And I think you know, yes, there was a you could start to argue on uh, on the way that it's been refereed this season there was mitigation but that was a bloody dangerous tackle from uh, from Belcher and um, and I think yeah stone cold reds in my but that's how I want to see him ref what, what was strange about that uh, red card the uh, Belcher Will Reed one was Will Reed was going to the ground anyway so the mm. only reason for Belcher to really hit him any force was to make sure he didn't offload in the process of going to ground so when I at, at full speed I thought well you know, the crowd went mad at the time. I thought, well, he's just hit him and they didn't hard and they didn't like it because there's no reason why you'd, you'd hit a guy around the head who's actually about to hit the, you know, fall into the ground as he's doing it. And then when they showed the replay, it was just straight in the face, you know, almost. So um, that, that was cast iron, I would say, that, that red. Absolutely no, no, like I know you say this thing about the uh, TMO trying to talk him down to a yellow, but it's just nothing, there's nothing to based that on at all it was just a straight red and um the uh the second red card was there was uh wasn't that straightforward but like you say if someone's getting shoulders to the head the thing is do you know the we've been over this hundreds of times you know the dinosaurs when they're wanging on about um you can't tackle properly anymore it's all this mm. but whenever the, the ball carrier puts his head you've got to avoid it <laughs> mm. They're all big. You can pick other parts of their body. It's not, you know, it's not. I, I, it's just, uh, it's dragging on much longer than um, than I would have liked. When it's, it's, you know, it's quite a few seasons since they brought in the straight reds for head contact, and uh, it's just dragging on and on. Where players are not, they're just not getting it. So I, I don't know, I don't know why that is, but I, I think, I, and we we covered this a couple of weeks ago. I think it's because this season, in particular, the last six months. There has been a lot more um, mitigating circumstances or things that are deemed to be mitigation that I think last season wouldn't have been. And I think as a result, players' habits haven't changed as much as they would have done if it was if it was hard line as it had been in previous seasons. Mm. Yeah, but there we go. That's yeah. So that was that was one issue. The other issue being the Dragons' sheer inability to close out games. Um, I, you know, I thought obviously looking at it slightly one-eyed, there was a. A really big opportunity to get that done. Um, if that kick from Will Reed goes over, you know there's there's, there's a win there at home. Um, 
Steph, is there any reason for me to feel optimistic going into next season? I mean, it was only a one point, a one point defeat, but um, but another defeat nonetheless. Yeah, I think um, uh, Murph hit the nail on the head. It was like a traditional derby, wasn't it? Um, hmm. A lot of these derbies aren't the best quality games, um, but there's a lot of tribalism. It was full blooded. I, I personally, I thought Cardiff had a bit more, a bit more class out wide, and that that told in the end, maybe. Um, but yeah, I think the Dragons did did sort of put themselves in a position to win and, and couldn't quite get it over the line. I, I think obviously Will Reed missed the penalty, but I don't think it's fair to put it all on, on his shoulders. They no. they did create a, you know, as I said, they, they did have a lot of chances to win the game and they, they just they just couldn't take it. And I think when when you're in an environment where you lose more games than you win, it's a hard bit then that you lose games. And it's the same, you know. On the flip side, if you're if you're in, a, in an environment you're winning all the time, you tend to win games even when you play badly. And um, you know the, the dragons are just in a they're in a rut, and they. But I think to answer your question, there's reasons to be a bit more optimistic next season because I think they've they've recruited pretty well. I mean, we, we spoke over this the other week, didn't we? You know, the uh, Lonsdale and George Norte really like. I think they're good signings. Um, Hanrahan brings some experience as well. Uh, I actually think Rodri Jones is a good signing. So they, they, I think they've got a stronger squad next season. But uh, it's just, it's culturally where I think that mm. they, they need to change it around. And uh, is Dean Ryan the right man? Not sure. Yeah, see, yeah, yeah. Obviously, we've we've covered that a, a couple of times recently as well. And I think the answer from from all of us is got to get those results next season early on to find out. The thing that encouraged me though, Murph. Um, from obviously from a Dragons perspective, look, Will, Will Reed, I thought had an outstanding game. I actually love the fact that he stood up and wanted to take that kick. Though I know you know you could argue that the line out was faltering, so there was no point going for the corner. But actually, for a twenty-year-old to stand up and go, "Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bang this over," oh, you know, I think in a way it kind of smacks of a player who's less damaged than the rest of that squad because you know he's been he's been in a, a Newport side that's been winning most of the season, and you know, and obviously he's less. Um, yeah, been less exposed to to some of the hammerings that the dragons have been on the end of. Well, I, I'm I think he could in a space of I don't know uh, four weeks he could be the find of the season in Welsh rugby. He's, you know, he's come from I guess armchair supporters nowhere. You know, he's been playing in the Premiership all season, and um, he looks as competent as any twenty year old who's been on the scene. You know, he's. Um, got a lot less uh, experience than, say, Sam Costello, but mm. he's, his performances so far already, you know, admittedly just a handful of games, he could be the find of the season. For, I mean, especially for the Dragons. Yeah, it, it is that it is that squad depth that Steph's, that Steph's touched on as well, because with that plus Hanrahan, you've now got three outside halves, whereas Sam Davis, prior to you know, prior to March, played virtually every minute of every game at ten, and I think it's really, I think it's really affected him. Actually, mm. I think he got his career back on track at, uh, at the Dragons, you know, with a good first couple of seasons, and then he's just been flogged to death this season. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I, th- I think obviously Sam, um, I think you hit the nail on the head. He did get his uh, career back on track because I don't think he was um, treated particularly well at the Ospreys. If I'm being honest, with you. but I think he, you know, he it's easy to get complacent because. He knew in his head that you know he he's going to play every game anyway because there's there's no alternative to him. But obviously they've signed JJ Hanrahan next season, and you know he's not the most naturally gifted player, but he's an experienced player. 
good goal kicker, good game manager. And now you've we've obviously obviously seen Will Reid come through as well, and he's probably potentially the best Dragons ten and a future international. From what I've seen, I don't want to get carried away because mm. that's what we like in Wales. A couple of good games and you start in ten, but but you know there is obvious potential there. And you know going back to your previous question, that's another thing to be optimistic about is there's a bit more depth in each position. You know Sam Davis now. You know, we'll see what he's made of. He's going to have to improve. He's going to he's going to have to fight for his jersey, and hopefully that'll make him a better player because uh, it doesn't look like Will Reid is uh, in any mood to give up at number ten shirt. No, it doesn't. Just while we're on um, we're on recruitment, and before we move on to kind of some of the off-field um, uh, news uh, this week, Cardiff Steph, I, I, you know, there's there's a few kind of. Um, a few recruits coming in, obviously Fallatown, Liam Williams being kind of the most high profile. Uh, still feels though, looking at that squad and, and the season that they've had, that they could use they could use a bit more bolster in there, really. Yeah, I actually uh, asked Di Young uh, this question in, in the press conference, and uh, he didn't explicitly say this, but you got the impression that there, there just wasn't the, the fund in there to um, strengthen the squad any further. Although, you know, it, it's fairly obvious that he wants to strengthen the front five. I mean, he signed Lopetti to Marnie. He's mm. actually played more rugby in the back row, but he's a he's a guy that's, that wins collisions, which is, you know, they haven't got many players that do that. Um, very experienced and he's better than what they've already got. But that front five is a problem. I mean, they've they've needed a hooker for about a decade. <laughs> they haven't really <laughs> they haven't sorted that one out yet. That, yeah. You know, that, that's something that they need to look at moving forward. I still think tight dead is a position that, you know, Dimitri Arhip's a good servant, but he's getting on. I, I personally, you know, think that I'm not convinced with Dylan Lewis as a scrummager and, and they probably need another second row as well. Uh, and maybe, maybe even a number eight. So, you know, obviously they got, I say that's a stupid thing to say because they got Farletow coming in, but how, how many games is Farletow going to play? Mm. You know, it's that, you know, he's a world-class player. Some would say he is, he is the best number eight in the world, but, the structure we've got in Wales with this 80-20 funding split, um, it's, it's almost as if a lot of players, you know, they, they, it's almost as if they're doing, um, they think that they're doing their regions a favour when they turn up to play. You know, it's, it's not yeah. created the best culture at the, at the pro size in Wales. And, you know, he's, he's a world-class player and he, in the big games, he should, he should make the difference. But, uh, you know, they, they need a number eight, like Callum Afford need a scarless number eight to, plays week in, week out, gets you over the game line, doesn't drop below 7 out of 10. And um, it's that non-Welsh qualified player that, you know, Tamani's one of them, but they, they need a few more of those, I think. It's that role Nick Williams did for them for uh, for a number of years. You know, again, they're week in, week out, defying yeah. his age, carrying yeah, ball, exactly. you know, just being an absolute nuisance. And let's move it on to uh, to, to some of the, the listeners' questions that we've had in. And... Um, I throw this this kind of over to you, um, Steph, because the other thing that happened on Friday night is um, Dragons chairman David Buttress. There was a Q and A Q&A with with the fans at Rodney Parade, but then he also uh, was on Scrum Five as well. Um, there was a couple of quotes in that that you know I suppose raised raised a few eyebrows. Um, uh, he said that we need to accept that each Welsh team has a different purpose, which prompted uh, Dav James to, to call it absolute nonsense. Um, but Jamie Phillips has asked this, what are your thoughts on regions having different purposes? Did, did you understand what he meant with that quote? I, I know, I know what he means. I know what yeah. he means. Um, it, it's interesting and it's difficult to answer because 
we obviously we we don't know what it's going to look like next season and beyond yet. Um, I think we'll stay with four teams um, from what I'm hearing, which is obviously positive, I think. Um, but I think the problem is when you've got a limited amount of money, um, you know, you can't... You, you, I know it sounds unfair, but you can't give everyone the same amount of money, otherwise you're just going to get mediocrity. Um, so you need a tiered funding model and realistically as it stands, because they've got less players in the Welsh squad or fewer players, um, the Dragons will probably have less. Um, that doesn't mean that they're going to be a development team, but, you know, it, it's, you know, every, every team is going to have to have a different approach in terms of how they'd be successful. Um, you know, I think I've seen David on Twitter talk about the non-Welsh qualified market. That's something I think that's underutilised. Um, you know, back in the day, we had the likes of Xavier Rush, Tito, Reven King, Molotika, Theo Tia, those type of players, and they were really beneficial in terms of developing players. So I think you know the, the WIU need to work closely with the regions to to get the right caliber of um, foreign players in. I think that'll be beneficial. But um, to answer his question, um, I, I think what we're going to get is maybe a more extreme version of a tiered funding model. Um, I mean, I, I can't say for certain because I'm not in these meetings, but um, that's probably. Um, what I what I'd expect, but I, I don't think that necessarily means that the Dragons are going to be a development team. In fact, David Buttress has explicitly said that's that's not the case. But um, yeah, I think it's it's going to be a tiered funding model, and teams are going to have to do things a bit differently if they want to be successful. You could argue, based on this season, a development region would be a step up from where we've been. But um, that's uh, the, the, the gallows humour, I suppose. What, what's your take, Nick Murph? Well, uh, first of all. Um... Kudos to Davis James for speaking his mind because we, we were on about last week that all, all coverage is a little bit uh, vanilla, a little bit um, mm. playing it safe. And so for Davis James, we, we mentioned uh, current players. If you have them on guests, they're not going to say anything controversial. It's just not in their interest. Uh, Davis James, you know, just called it out straight away. I, a load of nonsense. like So uh, it was nice, quite refreshing. Um well, we've been going on about it off air just now, haven't we, uh, Jed? Uh, about if supposedly the English clubs are going to be on a five million pound salary cap, that's the same as near enough the regional sides. Yet they're able to stockpile front five forwards like no one's business, and um, most of the regions get by on three second, three tidy second rows, arguably tidy second rows. So where, where is the difference? I can't. Steph's here, so hopefully Steph might know. But where is the difference between what what the regions have to pay to get uh, some uh, sizable forwards in? And obviously, there's the, the the draw of the Gallagher Premiership is part of it. But they must be paying. What I'm what I'm just trying to say to Jed was the English clubs must be paying less for more than the regions do if we're on if we are genuinely on the same salary, roughly the same salary cap. Yeah, so the, the the talk on the grapevine for a while has been that um, uh, a lot of salary, a lot of the salaries in Welsh rugby has been, you know, there's been a lot of inflation. A lot of players are allegedly overpaid. I mean, who am I to say whether somebody's overpaid? But that's yeah. that's the general sort of school of thought. I mean, we've got this pay banding system, but you know, the English clubs have sort of aggressively, um, or PRL have aggressively sort of addressed that with the salary cap. Um, Obviously, the English clubs have got the marquee player 
Um, and I think that I, th- I think I need to double check this. Isn't there about six hundred thousand pounds extra they can spend on academy players and uh, and that sort of thing? But right. you are right. Um, I haven't got all the answers, obviously. But um, no. you, you look you look at England. Obviously, they they got more play. They got a higher player base. They got bigger players as well. We're naturally not that big in Wales, so mm. I suppose that helps them when when they get second rows. Um, but yeah, it's 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 difficult. I, I think. I think there's there has been a lot of waste with the Welsh regions as well. I mean, I've always been of the opinion that the Welsh Rugby Union haven't invested enough and haven't haven't given the regions the money that they deserve. They they do they do deserve more money, but at the same time, you know, there's a lot of players who you would argue are I'm not going to name names are pretty average and probably shouldn't be, you know, at the level they're at and and they're paying big money on them and they should maybe be. You know, using that to to sign a different profile of player. Um, I personally, you know, we're changing it a bit now, but I think we've underused the exiles market a little bit. The Dragons are addressing that with Norton and Lonsdale. Scarlets have done it quite well, but that's been underutilised. But I just think we need to be a bit smarter with how we we spend our money. But I think probably the reason is that you know there's far more players in England. They they got their, their profile of players is a lot different. Um, you know they've got bigger, more physical players, so it's it's easier for them to pick a player out of the English Championship and throw him into a Premiership game, and they've got a lot of injuries in the squad because number one, the player's probably of a, you know his physicality is probably pretty close to the Premiership anyway, even if he doesn't have the same skill set as the Welsh Premiership. You know that that's an issue. The Welsh Premiership, it's the gap between Welsh Premiership and regional rugby. People rubbish regional rugby, but the gap between Premiership and regional rugby is enormous. It's far, far too high, and um, you know it's, it's refreshing to hear the Nigel Walkers trying to sort that out. Because um, I think if we sorted that out, it, it 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 would help a lot. But I just think it's probably down to um, you know the um, the amount of players they got in England and and the sort of physical profile of player they got. Yeah, but yeah, you, I agree, and there must be just the. On the mathematics alone, <laughs> players must be getting overpaid because we, me and Jed were going through the um, the uh, squad at Northampton and the second rows they got. There's about five second rows on their books who would probably get in the Welsh squad. And mm. so how do all... If you try to get one of them to come to um, the, the blue, uh, Cardiff or whatever, he'd want top... He'd want Paying accordingly, but he must be doing playing Northampton. <clears throat> the, the attraction must be that he, he would be willing to pay for less if they're staying within the five grand budget because uh, the five million pound budget. And and your point about um, players being overpaid and, and the regions not. I don't think they're hard nosed professional professional hard nosed professionals when it comes to negotiations because I, I even uh, it, you know obviously the South Wales goldfish ball I know of players who've got contracts on just on sentimentality more than mm. anything they can do on the pitch you know players who've had uh, not much, huge contracts obviously but contracts on the prospect of not really paying much playing much not actually making many appearances during the season but still on a professional rugby contract so you know they, they they're definitely not um, hard nosed enough. At, I, I can't speak for all the regions, but the ones I, I know, you know I've got a insight into. Um, 
it would be much more cutthroat, I think, over the border, and maybe that's why they're able to um, attract more. Well, I, th- I think as well, you know, you know, if you're, and this is just a guess, you know, if you're the dragons, right, and you want to, you want to sign a second row, and you sit down at the second row, and and he's not, say, he's he's a non-Welsh qualified player, and um, he's got offers from I don't know somebody like a London Irish or a Glasgow or, or something like that. And the dragons want him. He talks to the dragons. He looks at them. He thinks this is an awful team. You know, they they haven't well, they don't want to go home game all season, which is which is terrible. You can't get away from that. Yeah. So Glasgow could say, "Oh, look, we play this brand of rugby. You know, we've you know um, we've developed play X, Y, and Z for for Scotland, London Irish. You know, you're living in London, all this sort of thing." But so the dragons are gonna. The only thing they could offer them really is is money. So they, I, I suppose that. For him to choose, for this player to choose the Dragons over an English Premiership club or Glasgow or Connacht or Edinburgh or something, the Dragons are going to have to pay more than pay over the odds. Yeah, um, and I think as well, you know, like obviously English players want to play for for England, and if you leave England, then obviously you don't play like Ask Sark Mercer. Mm. Um, so um, I suppose that helps, and the appearance fees for England is, you know, the, the highest of the. I think it is the highest in world rugby. Um, obviously. Only a certain amount of players actually play for England, of course. But it, I think, you know, it's just it's just the fact they got so many players. I imagine, and that that drives the costs down a little bit because they they want to they want to stay in England, they want to play for England, mm. and also, you know, if you if you if you're coming through at Leicester, you know, you're you're in one of the best environments in the world rugby, one of the best forwards coach in the world in Borthwick, great players to learn from. But what can the Dragons offer you apart from, you know? Money and you know, if you're a Welsh international, yeah, you're yeah. playing Wales. So, so it's a, uh, yeah. case in point because um, uh, uh, Reese Carey went to Saracens for less money yeah. than Cardiff were offering. So it, yeah. you know, it is that is definitely part of it. But um, yeah. it, 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 and you know, your point there about a player looking at three different clubs. If he looks at the resources at the Dragons and sees there's only two other second rows, he knows hmm. for that money he's going to be flogged every week making tons of minutes as if he goes yeah. to Northampton he can have a he can have a week off every fortnight because there's mm. so much uh, so many other players available but the only reason I'm bringing this up now is cuz this supposedly on if the whole of those clubs like for sale for example they just got shed loads of South Africans and they're not they can't be cheap all of them and so I, I don't know how that 5 million pound I know there's a there's a, an exemption for the uh, star overseas signing and then for some academy boys, but that only yeah. bumps them up to six million. Say, and I, I don't know how they've got such <laughs> fully formed squads. And I was just looked th- threadbare all the time. I mean, uh, with the comparison that Jed made, was uh, there's three out and out second rows at Cardiff, and then they, yeah. then you get Josh Turnbull do, doing the filling in bit, you know, so, or James Ratty or whatever. So um, it doesn't actually. I, 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 Obviously, it keeps over my head, but it just doesn't add up, does it? I, mean, I don't think it, yeah. it, it works out on paper. I mean, I mean the only, only people can actually answer this question like accurately are obviously the, the people involved at, at the regions and the players. But it does, from what we've discussed, it does point to the fact that, you know, there is an issue in Welsh rugby with regards how much players are getting paid. I mean, mm. if players are listening to this podcast, they probably, you know destroy this argument but um because yeah. obviously they, they do put their bodies on the line and you know there's risk of concussion and the careers could end at any moment and stuff so you know they do deserve to be paid a lot of money but yeah. 
yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, there is there are questions that have got to be asked, considering there's a five million salary cap in England, and uh, mm. you know they, they seem to be making more of what what you know of the resources they yeah. got. At the very least, they're managing their budget better. At very the very the very least, you can see. Yeah, I mean, the, the the interesting thing with this as well is it'll be interesting to see next year as well because if you were to go back pre-pandemic, I don't think you could say that English sides were managing their budget particularly well. For you know, based based on looking at the the profit and loss of of all of those of all of those clubs, none of them make. No, it's hard to make to make any money in professional rugby because there's not enough money in there. For that, that goes out. You know, it's, it's you know for a long time it was. I think it was only Northampton and Exeter who were in the black. Um, Northampton slipped out of that, and Exeter's was. If you were to do a bit of um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, a bit of creative deep, accounting, not, not, not even yeah, not even that <laughs> deep digging into accounting, you'd see that their sponsor was also their owner. So you know, so so that obviously skews that um, skews that somewhat. So yeah, I, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in the long run um, because you you know you mentioned Sale there already. Obviously they've they've lost they've lost Faf the Clerk, who's the other um, who's the other high profile player they've lost for next season. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that how that pans out over uh, you know over a longer period of time. And plus, I think Steph is. Um, yeah, it's inter- obviously you know we know the dragons aren't uh, you know haven't been up to scratch on the pitch, but he is underselling a night out in Newport, which would probably be a big draw for for many of these lads. So, um, yeah. so you know who? Why else would uh, would Bertrano swap Malbec for Malper? Say, eh? there we go. It's it's, it's all there. Uh, we quickly finish on this one um, in the first half, and then in the second half we're going to be selecting our um, selecting our squad to go to South Africa because Wayne Pivak selects his uh, next week. Um, but yeah, we have had uh, you know proposed reform to the to the international calendar this week uh, with. I suppose you could call it something that's perhaps comparable to football's Nations League. Um, Steph, again, as the the most informed out of this trio, you're probably best positioned to um, to lead us on this. Essentially, you've got a the, the Six Nations would remain the same, but then summer tours and the autumn internationals would essentially be a kind of um, a tiered structure whereby you could be promoted and relegated from uh, from those respective uh, divisions. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, um, so there's a lot to debate on this point, I think, um, and I haven't really made my <laughs> we should, mind We up. should have taken the break, shouldn't we? <laughs> I haven't really made my mind up over whether this proposed tournament's a good thing or a bad thing, to be honest. So I've heard, it, I've heard from three exceptional sources that um, this new tournament, if it gets off the ground, could bring in between 40 to £50 million pounds for the Welsh Rugby Union alone. And I assume it would be similar to other tier one nations. So that's obviously a good reason for having it, I suppose. Um, I think one of the complaints, and I've I've been one of these, is that a lot of international rugby is meaningless. You know, the mm-hmm. autumn internationals. It's yeah, you know, you you what you saw is nice to beat Australia or South Africa. Tamatolos um, as well. You know, you always want to win every game you play, but you know. We, there's so much international rugby; it's just devalue the product, and there's no. I know they have, they have these Mickey Mouse trophies at the end of them, but they don't mean anything, do they? So if there no. wasn't, you know, that that's one complaint. There needs to be a bit more meaning to international rugby. I suppose this this does does help that to an extent. Um, obviously, um, I can't remember what he was called, but there's a, there's the word nation in every proposal, isn't it? So a few years back, obviously they 
they wanted to include the sort of Six Nations games in it and, and, and you know, there'd be relegation from the Six Nations and the likes of Scotland, Wales, Italy, Italy especially weren't keen on that. But this allowed, this new format would allow them to scrap relegation or the prospect of relegation in the Six Nations and it would also mean that um, South Africa wouldn't have to join the Six Nations, which most people are against by, by what I've read on social media. And the relegation would be from this tournament that happens every two years. Uh, and then there'd be a second competition with emerging nations like Georgia, um, Uruguay, even, you know, all these countries. So it does it does allow the Tier 2 nations to grow. So that's a good thing. So there are a lot of good points. But, um, you know, Stephen Jones wrote a great, I thought it was an excellent um opinion piece in the Sunday Times today and again you know there's just too much international rugby um, it's just going to devalue the World Cup um, yeah. you know win the World Cup uh, and then there's this other competition the next year and it's just I don't know it, it just there's not enough it's different in soccer when there's so many teams that play the, the sport you can have these competitions and it doesn't devalue anything but realistically we like to talk up you know the prospects of the US getting good and all these sort of countries, but it's going to take at least like 30 years for them to be really competitive, I imagine, if, if they, they properly invest in it. And um, it's just, you know, there's not enough countries really and it's, it's just it's just going to devalue it. And more than anything, it's the club game that's going to, it's going to really, it's going to really hurt the club game. Um, you know, we always complain that, um, you know, at, at, at Welsh regional level that we lose our, you know, top players for, for large periods of the season, and you're going to lose them for even more now. Um, although hopefully they'd be comp- uh, compensated more, and it's just going to just going to devalue it. And also, you know, player welfare. You know, international rugby is just brutal. It's just level up physically and intensity-wise to club rugby. And they're talking about dropping one of the fallow weeks in the Six Nations, which could you know could mm. be devastating really for a lot of these players. And you know, now you've got players who can say. You know, look, I'm not going to tour South Africa this summer because my body's absolutely buggered and I want to make the World Cup. But if private equity like CVC and Silver Lake are putting so much money in these competitions, they're not going to be able to do that, which is a point that Stephen Jones made in the Sunday Times column. So um, there's pros and cons to this. I'm not quite sure which side of the fence I fall on, mm. but I just know that, um, you know, without a proper global calendar, and I don't think this gives us that, where there's no international games played the same time as club games, then the game's just not going to move forward. And I, you know, I, I do worry about player welfare. That, that, that's my yeah, opinion. seemingly though, Steph, the, the the noises out of the kind of the player camp seem a lot less um, a lot less uh, negative than they were two or three years ago when the the, the previous proposal was on the card. I think seemingly the, there seems to be a buy-in from. Whoever it is who's looking after the um, the kind of the, the players' interests within world rugby, um, yeah, I wonder kind of what perhaps what the um, what the difference is this time around. Um, I'm not sure is the answer to that. I mean, it's good that the you know that the players are happy with it, which means that they probably had talks with world rugby and and all the governing bodies. So that's if they're comfortable with it, then then fine. But even with that, it's just. The club game year on year just keeps getting it keeps getting less and less. I mean, why you know why would you buy a season ticket at Scarlets or Ospreys if if you're not going to see your best players play more than 
handful of games a season. You know, for me, you know, these last two weeks of European rugby have been fantastic, better than mm-hmm. the Six Nations as far as I'm concerned in terms of entertainment value. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just going to get worse and worse. I, I think there's a lot of growth in, in the club game, if I'm being honest, which hasn't been tapped into. And that that's my biggest concern, how, how it's going to affect the club game. And there'll just be too much international rugby as well. You know, it's, it's the same team playing the same team all the time. And, yeah, I, 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 I'm on the fence with this one, if I'm being honest. With you. It's a, it's a fascinating point. I'm really keen to get your, uh, your thoughts on it as well, Murph. Um, so we're gonna, we're gonna take this over into the second half. Um, but yeah, definitely want to ki- uh, build on those points about, uh, about growing the club game and the, uh, and the, the, the lack of a global calendar as well. But we're gonna do all of that after this very, very quick break. Right, Murph. We're talking before the break there, and I know you're desperate to uh, to have your uh, your opinion on this, and the listeners are desperate to hear Murph's uh, Murph's hot take on uh, <laughs> on uh, the the Nations League or the League of Nations or whatever we're we're, we're calling this. Um, yeah, I'm I'm keen, as Steph said, I would be keen to look at. You know, personally for me, this is a, this is a step in the right direction in terms of having less meaningless rugby, but. That doesn't apply to the to the club game, you know, because again, there's, there is just too much rugby played all all across the world, particularly uh, particularly around the Welsh regions and the leagues that we play in. And to me, it it feels like the pandemic was a real big opportunity to actually hit reset on a lot of these things. And uh, and I feel like we've we've completely you know we've missed that opportunity if there's not similar reform that comes to the to the club game as well. What what are, you, what are your thoughts, Murph? Well, it feels like. Um... Rugby union is in the position that cricket was in, or might still be in. I don't know. Uh, where it's like a Commonwealth Commonwealth sport, and they can't. It's not because the countries are spread so far across the globe. You can't get you. You know, like uh, football is easy. You can just have a European competition, and it's mm. either club or internationally, and it just works because everyone's within a short flight of each other, or at the same t- time zone at least. You know what I mean? And you just. That's not possible with cricket or, or rugby. And cricket's like uh, folding over on itself all the time. It, you know, the, the, the global calendar has changed just because of the amount of money in the Indian Premier League. So everyone else has to, uh, internationally at least, has to down tools while that happens because the players get paid so much in there. Um, and I don't think that's going to happen in rugby, but we're in, we're in, the, we're in the same... Uh, uh, process of trying to work out where how to fund everything and looking for new ways. Uh, going back to Steph's point about um, getting rid of the fallow week in the Six Nations, that favours the bigger squads. So the the small nations like Wales, Scotland, Italy suffer if there's no fallow week because you've got to rotate your players and then you, as soon as we rotate, we, we weaken our team. So I'm against it. <laughs> Just on that fact alone, I'm against all of it. Um, and there was another point in there, which is, I, f- I forget now. Uh, I, look, I, I don't know if I'm just getting old, but... Uh, you are getting old, mate. I'm definitely getting older, but I try not to be mentally old if I can help it. Um, <laughs> you know, the autumn internationals weren't a thing 20 years ago. And, yeah. they, you know, they've become... So there's, there's no... To me, there's no loss in losing those, uh, getting rid of those. But uh, I, I don't like too much rugby in the summer 
I mean, one of the mm. ones that is, you know, we um, that is properly mean, meaningless is the summer tours. So Wales mm. going to go down to South Africa, I guess, stuff three times, and like no real draw in South Africa to watch their side hammering someone, and no real benefit to the Welsh squad development. Well, they're not going to risk too many youngsters against South Africa. There's no going to be any benefit in that regard. So those things could. I suppose be jettisoned, and like I say, the, the autumn internationals are only twenty year old. Um, so that you know, it does. If you can mop up those, but I don't like it impinging on the successful bits, and I don't, uh, as you two both mentioned, I don't like it impinging on um, uh, the undervalued uh, club game. Yeah, that, and that's it. That's it for me. Is it's um, it has been the problem with rugby since it turned professional. Is there is so much self-interest and you know you can argue um with good reason you know if you're the ceo of of premiership rugby limited your your job is to look out for the interests of your stakeholders which are those clubs right um but ever since then it's just been right how do we play more more rugby to generate more money and like we've said before loads of that money has exited the game you know via the via the players and you know lots of um you know, clubs have gone bust in the early days of kind of chasing that dream um, but there is no there is no real clear and defined structure there's no there is no rational um, rugby calendar and until you until you solve that I don't think any of these problems go away I think it probably you know it, like you said it probably is better to have something meaningful in the or a bit more meaningful in the summer than it is just random summer tours, which is a hangover from the amateur game anyway, I think, you know, and, 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 and the, the reason the autumn internationals, I think were successful to start with was because you still had that enthusiasm of, you know, the, the old school, oh, we, you know, we're, we're, we're playing Australia or we're playing South Africa because you, you, you really looked forward to those tours. But the reason they were so special was because <laughs> yeah. they didn't happen very often. Yeah, no, you know, awesome. so, so you, yeah, so, you know, you would have South Africa touring, you know, touring uh, Wales and England and playing a load of tour games and then playing that, that one-off test. Uh, and that was that was brilliant, but when you're you know when you're playing Australia four times in the same calendar year, it doesn't have it, it doesn't have the same appeal. So those things have kind of been flogged to death a bit. So yeah, but it, to me and you know the the club game is is the fascinating thing. And I've I've said this you know if you're playing attacking scrum bingo, I've, this is probably my go-to point. Is that I honestly think that the private investment has more chance of of generating genuine reform to the to the calendar and to the game than um than than world rugby does because ultimately everyone is you know is is going to be um is going to be drawn in by the money that they've that they've got and, and completely dependent on it and you know i still think there is more to come from cvc and uh you know and um, whether that's some kind of world club cup type thing that, that happens or something of that ilk um then you know there, there will be more changes, but for me, I, I don't know until until there's a proper reform of the global calendar. We strip back loads of meaningless rugby. We're still we're still in the same kind of um, the same the same problem really. Too too much too much rugby. Too much of it meaningless, uh, and you're going to flog the players to death. Yeah, I think as well. If um, with all this international rugby, and as I said, they, they'll allegedly you know they, they'll be meaningful games. And what I mean by meaningful is they'll be some form something of, on the line, yeah. something on the line. Um, but that'll mean that these clubs, oh, sorry, they may as well be clubs in my, the, the access they got to players. But the, these nations will have 
Um, you know, they'll have bigger squads, they'll have to carry bigger squads because of injuries and, and whatnot. So, the, especially the in the maybe France won't be affected as much because it's a lot wealthier, obviously. But Wales then and Scotland and you know the, the smaller nations, the, the club game will get worse and worse, and they'll have a knock-on effect probably on player development as well. I'd imagine because pe- people seem to misunderstand sometimes. They think just putting a, a team full of kids, you know, uh, eighteen to twenty-two or twenty-three, will, will help them develop, but. You need you need experienced players around you. You need your senior internationals around you to to tell you are oh, you doing this wrong? You do this that way. Um, and if if those senior internationals aren't available, which they aren't already, but if if they're available even less, you know, then player development is just going to suffer as well. And I I just think I I I agree with you. I I just think that there is more long term growth in the club game. I think than, or the provincial game, whatever you want to call it, than the international game, because there's only a, a finite, finite amount of countries that play that, that seriously play international rugby. And you know, as you said years ago, Wales would play in the autumn. They'd have they play two um, tier two nations like uh, a, a Tonga and a Romania, and then they'd play South Africa one year, Australia the next, New Zealand the next, and it would be special when they played Australia or South Africa. But now you play them all the time, you know. If if, if you can't get tickets, well, there's always tickets available for those two. They haven't sold out Australia, South Africa for about 15 years. 15 years, years yeah. Uh, New Zealand's different because we haven't beaten them since 53 and you want to be there when they do You know when they do win. But, you know, there's... I, I get no buzz when Wales play Australia. I get no buzz when Wales play South Africa anymore. Um, you know, obviously I want Wales to win, but it's, it's just not the same and... I just think people are going to get turned off a bit as well. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, we, it feels like we've come to a conclusion that this is a bad thing. I think. <laughs> well, while, while we're talking meaningless uh, international summer rugby, this brings us <laughs> seamlessly <laughs> onto into picking our squads. <laughs> I know, um, I know. I know. Steph has uh, Steph has taken this very seriously and has, <laughs> has spent the after. There we go. Look, look. It, mate, even I've and this is only because Steph's on. Even I've made notes. Look tonight, and Murph's Murph's got a packet of Rothmans down yeah, there one with of his, uh, one of these kids is doing his own thing. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna wing it all the way through. You said, sketch, you said thirty-seven man squad. Can we stretch it to thirty-eight? <laughs> I'm I'm on the fence. Like. Is, you know, there's that's, one... the, that's the that's the jeopardy. I want to see who it is. Yeah, I'll make okay. a call. I'll make a call at the end whether there's exceptional yeah. circumstances. Um, uh, we're going to start in the uh, start as we always do in the uh, in the front row. I, just the ground rules for anyone who's, who's okay. not listened to us fudge our way through these uh, these selections of the past. Uh, it's a committee decision, um, so committee blazers and ties and uh, and jumpers are all on. Uh, so we'll, we'll have a consensus between the three of us, and obviously it's our team, uh, our squad, rather than than uh, necessarily what Wayne Pivak is uh, is going to pick. Um, we will start as we always do with loose heads, though. Um, I'll give you the the runners and riders uh, if you like. For me, this is this would be this would be pretty um, straightforward. But I, I my selections would be go would be to go for Nicky Smith, Gareth Thomas, and Reese Carey. That's what I've um, gone for. Same. Uh, I mean, uh, if you, if you don't pick Reese Carey now, you'll never pick him. He's playing the best rugby of his career, of his short career, and uh, Win Jones is injured, and so it just yeah. it just makes it straightforward. I think. And I think oh, Nicky Smith. Um, through this. So just on Nicky Smith, I don't, I don't really understand why, why he's 
not had a look in recently because no. he's been excellent for the Ospreys. He's a good scrummager. He's good over the ball as well. You know, carries well. He's not he's not the biggest. I might go against him, but I, I, I think he deserves to go on, on this tour, if I'm being honest with you. I'd be disappointed if yeah. he wasn't there. I, yeah, I think yeah, we've we've said this before. I think he's been um, yeah harshly uh, harshly treated, if I'm honest, um, in uh, previous squad selections. Right, tight head. Uh, I think we'll probably all be in agreement that, that Tom Francis is is your first choice. Yeah. Um, after that, it gets a bit uh, it gets a bit um, a bit less clear cut. So uh, I'm assuming Leon Brown's going to be injured. Uh, I'm assuming Samson Lee won't be available for selection. Oh, he's gone. Which leaves which which leaves really. Dylan Lewis and Will Griff John. You've missed one. You've missed one. Have I? I'm going to make this Go interesting for you. Tom Botha. Oh, uh, Tom Botha is well qualified, qualified now, and he, isn't and he? he can right. scrum midge. You know, he doesn't do much around the park, but he's a good is, scrum midger. And is he fit? People will, he's, I think he's fit at the moment, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, people obviously will probably throw stones at me because of the residency thing, but <laughs> I want tight as a can scrum midge. So, yeah, yeah. I, I would consider him. That's all I'm saying. All right. Well, he's he's on the short list well, then, Steph. Will Griff John doesn't seem to start many games in the Scarlets. No, so he doesn't. Jay and Sebastian, or or uh, yeah. uh, 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 other tight end. Who I can't remember the name uh, of. Harry O'Connor. Harry O'Connor. Yeah, yeah. and um, uh, the Gypsy King. What's his bloody name? Samson, Samson Lee. Lee is the other. You never seem seem to see Will Griff John starting many games for his club. So uh, I would, yeah. you know, even, even though I like him, I would be very um, hesitant to take him. Even though we have got many options, I'd be hesitant if he's not yeah. getting ahead of those players. It's a shame. Um, Samson Lee at one point he looked like he was the scrummager we needed, but mm. he's just had too many injuries, um, really bad Achilles injuries, and was struck again. So unfortunately, he's out. But Bill Griff, he's had an injury, but he's been he's been disappointing because he was he was good at sale. Um, it might have helped that he had like Luda Yaga and that type of player, that, that sort of power um, supporting him in the scrum. But yeah. you know he's he's really struggled in the scrum for them, and he's not he's not really done much around the park. And look at Dylan Lewis, he's he's not a great scrummager, but no. he does contribute around the park, jackling and whatnot. And I. You know, I, I, yeah, I, I'm far from convinced with Will Griff John. If I'm being honest, who goes? Hmm. Right, are we any, are we any clearer on who else is going here <laughs> other than Tom Francis? I mean, realistically, from from what we've said, then it looks like Tom Boat is going as number two. Yeah, he'd be in my squad. He'd be in my squad. He's never been picked before, though, is he? No, no, he's only just qualified, isn't he? I think, or yeah. relatively recently. Well, he's listen. He's not going to be far away. Whatever you know. It's a, it looks from what we've said, it looks like a shoot between Wilgrave Sean, who really gets a run out, and Tom Botha. You could, I suppose, um, the Dragons prop um, is a uh, Coleman. He's getting better. I'm not convinced. Harry O'Connor's a good prospect, but you don't you don't want to yeah. throw a young kid tight dead against the box. It could ruin them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, All right. I, I would. Yeah. I would say. I would say it, that it, it'll probably ruin the old ones as well. By the way. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This is Dami's limitation. This is there's yeah. no, no going to wave that. Um, I yeah. think I would go. I, I would take Dylan Lewis just for. I, I yeah. Look, we all know he's not the world's strongest scrummager, but he's yeah. He is he is good around the park, and he's at least got some experience. Um, and the other two, 
God, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'd take Tom Bota then. Um, what are you doing, Murph? Uh, uh, whoever, according to the um, S&C guy, whoever's fittest at the moment, out of Will Griffin, Tom Bota, that's who I would take. I think it looks like it's Bota, doesn't it? Yeah. All right, there we go. Ruffling feathers already, and we're only uh, we've only done two positions. Um, Hooker is a bit more clear cut, so essentially you've you've only really got four players who are, are kind of fit and in considerations. You've got Elias Lake, uh, Bradley Roberts, almost called him Brendan Rogers again. Bradley Roberts and uh, and Elliot D has played one game um, back. I Darry Lake is the is the is a standout candidate for me. I think I think he's as we said the other week. I think he should be starting too yeah. for me. Um, I would take him. I'd take Elias, and I'd take D. I know I'm slightly biased because he's been on this podcast a few times, but um, I still I still think Elliot's got got stuff to offer at international uh, international rugby. I think. What about um, you boys? I think Elliot D. You know when I've seen him play recently, I know he hasn't played that much recently, but. He's got a real edge about him as well. I mean, mm. if if you rewind the clock about eighteen months, he was sort of Ken Owens' long-term successor. Ryan Elias has had his problems throwing in, but you know, I I think he had a good season. I think he's you know he, he's been very good in the tight around the park, and his throwing in needs to improve. But he needs to get improve even more. But he has improved, and I think he he's clear. Elias and Lake are the clear one and two now. I think so. I'd be tempted to go for Elliot D because he's going to be pretty pissed off. I don't know if I can swear, but he's going to be pretty pissed off for that. And I just think he's going to have an edge about him. So I would edge him over Bradley Roberts. Yeah, Murph's been on his best behaviour. It's the longest he's ever gone in a podcast without swearing. So um, (laughs) I I, I can see you, Murph. Yeah, I I agree with Steph there because um, Bradley Roberts has just come in the side in the autumn and done okay when he's got off a bench but um, he doesn't command many starts at Ulster probably, he'll probably end up coming over you when his uh, contract is up he is, he's, he's joined the Dragons oh, he's joined the Dragons next season All right. yeah. oh, okay. and, and then you'll be playing more often and we can have a good look at him but at the moment he, he's literally had his international career on the back of Ken Owens being unavailable for a year <laughs> mm. um, we, you know we haven't actually seen much of him really on the pitch that often um, so we know about LAD, and if he's um, relatively fresh from being on the sidelines uh, a fair amount of time, it could go well. Okay, I yeah, I, I think we're all um, all right. Let's 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 go with that then. Elias Lake and D as the as the three hookers uh, into the locks. This 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 gets a bit tricky actually because um, there's again there's a few injury concerns. Ben Carter went off injured on mm. um, on Friday night with a shoulder injury. Will Rowlands has obviously missed the last couple of games. Um, Christians is out injured as well, um, which really leaves fit second rows. Alan Wynne Jones, Seb Davis, Adam Beard, Reese Davis possibly at, um, at the Ospreys, um, David Jenkins, Exeter. I mean, we're struggling to get to six here actually. Lonsdale and George Knott as Lon- well. You could look Lonsdale and Knott. You could, yeah. But isn't um, uh, Will Rowland expect- expected to be fit by? I think he. I, th- I hope he is, and I think he should be. Yeah. Um, they're not going to. Ri- I, I, they're not going to risk him in the Dragons game next week. So, all right, let's work on the assumption that Rowlands is fit, and I think he's. Well, uh, people he's been have one of Wales's, people like you know, uh, he's been another one of Wales' player of the season. Right? Yeah, well, people like 
Moriarty and Wainwright and different people have all, already been ruled out of the tour. They haven't said anything about uh, Will Rowland, so yeah. he must be in with a shout of being fit for the tour. So let's just assume he's. <laughs> Otherwise, we can't get enough on the pitch. <laughs> all right, let's go. All right, so so Rowland's Rowland's goes. He's exactly the kind of player you want out yeah. there, I think, and he's and he's had a fine season. Um, I think you've got to take Alan Wynn, really, haven't you? I mean, yeah. it's not it's not ideal, but um, but I think you need his leadership. I think you do, like yeah. This. Arden Beard's so nailed on as well. Beard is nailed on. I think Davis has to go for uh, for you know, given that we've got very little experience. Seb over. Davis, yeah, Seb Davis, and sorry. his first title play six and eight. Yeah, I mean, the, I, I um, had heard on the grapevine, the well-informed grapevine, that Dave Jenkins was being eyed up. I asked yeah. Rob Baxter, and he said something along the lines of, "He's a future international star, but." It's too early for him. You know, he's only 19. Um, apparently, they're S&C guys and they're, you know, they're, they're medical guys that said that, you know, if he's thrown in against the box, then, uh, you know, it, you know, there's a greater chance of injury because they reckon that uh, Chris Chunza, um the reason he's injured is because he got picked for Wales too soon, which is interesting and makes sense. Mm. Um, I think, like, Dav Jenkins, you know, you... It might be a good, you know, be great experience for him if he just went and didn't play, you know, just to see what it's about and mm-hmm. whatnot. But um, yeah, um, at least Reece Davis, he's been playing well. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think he's been playing. I think he's been playing well uh, ever since. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't see a lot of him when he was at Bath, but I think he's been playing very well since he joined the Ospreys. And I, again, he's just a, he's just a nuts and bolts lock, I think, isn't he? It's just like grunt, hit rucks. Bit of ball carrying, you know, line up option. It gives you, it give kind of gives you, you know, not the, he's not the flashiest lot, but I think he's uh, he's got a fair bit about him. Yeah, yeah, I like him. Um, all right, I think then that leaves us with. Uh, so we well, it depends. It depends on Carter if he's injured or not, though. I think um, I'm gonna. I, uh, so the shoulder injury went off with. Oh, was it? I don't know. The way he was, yeah. it, it seemed against. Um, during the game, it seemed a bit of incongru- incongruous. He would take him off because they'd already lost uh, Joe, uh, Joe, Joe Davis. Joe Davis. Yeah, it was, yeah, sh- so I, I thought injury, it might have been a, a concussion, but it was his shoulder. So I mean, he didn't look. I mean, he didn't look like he was in pain or in immediate need of uh, medical attention. So hopefully, it's just a stinger or just something precautionary, maybe. All right. Okay. So we're saying then: Rollins, Alan Jones, Seb Davis, Adam Beard, all go, and then. Two of Reese Davis, Dav Jenkins, Ben Carter. And remember, right, it depends on the back row because if you pick James Rafty, he can also play lock. So you might want to. Good point. You know, you might want to sort point. of. It's a little pointed at Steph's back row selections there. Eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Um, I, I, well, you know, I'm happy for Reese Davis to be in the squad, and um, if Ben Carter's fit, he'll go. He'll definitely go if he's fit. So, well, I'm going Reese Davis too early for Dave Jenkins. I listen okay, to the experts right. and doctors. And, and Fair enough. Um, and are we assuming Carter's fit as well? If he's fit, he'll definitely go. But um, I, I, you know, take Carter and put Jenkins on a standby list. That's mm. what I'm. All right. That's mm. what I've done. Okay, standby list for Dave Jenkins. Cool. All right. Oh, back row. Here we go. Interesting, yeah. Steph. You, uh, you you mentioned this uh, when we were off air, but interesting story in the rugby paper this week uh, that it seems as though Tommy Raffle is uh, is likely to get a call up for this one. Obviously, been um, 
part of a, a, a fine Leicester side this year, former under-20s captain, big, big prospect. Um, makes makes this even harder, though, doesn't it? Trying to figure out... Um, yeah, I just want to say, it's, it's, out not, out it's not my story, though. So if it's not in the squad, blame Peter Jackson, not me. So <laughs> just everyone's aware. Yeah, But he would. He, he is in my squad on, on this on this piece of paper. Um, All right, what's your what's your back row then? You, you've obviously you've given this more thought than either of us. Here we go then. I've got I've gone Tommy Raffel. Mm-hmm. Um, his form demands it, really, doesn't it? Um, Farless, I was nailed on. Basham's mm-hmm. nailed on. Uh, I've gone Jack Morgan. Arguably a form mm-hmm. player in Wales, to be honest. Um, Navidi as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's a difficult one because I really wanted to take. Both of them. That's why I keep asking for more for a thirty-eight mask on a thirty-seven. Right. Um, I also looked at Morgan Morris, but I just thought Ratty probably deserves it because he was in the Six Nations. And I, I just got something about him. He's got size, he's got power, and I just think good coaching. Not that you know coaching is questionable, obviously, but um, I just think he's there's just something about him, and he can play lock as well. So I. I've given Rati the nod, but I'm sure a lot of people will disagree with me on that one. Um, in, I mean, yeah, I, I agree on Raffle. Um I agree. Oh, yeah, Falatage nailed on. Navidi's nailed on. I would take Jack Morgan. I would take Ratty. I'd be tempted to leave Basham at home, if I'm honest. And as you know, I'm a massive fan of it. Controversial. Uh, <laughs> and it's not... Uh, but, you know, look, honestly, I, I love him. I absolutely love watching the kid play. Um but I just think there's too many sevens in there. Then you well, know, what, I think. What do we think? What do we think of Morgan Morris? He's one of the form players in Wales. I mean, obviously, what we've got to consider is that the step up from because our pro teams aren't doing well. They're obviously not playing at the in the last stage of Europe and stuff. Mm. So, the, the, the you know, you could play well against the Dragons or the Scarlets, you know, who haven't got great defences. But is that really? You know, is winning man of the match against the Dragons really, um, you know, is it a good measurement to whether you can take on Dwayne Vermeulen on the high belt? Um, yes. You know, it's Steph, I'm not is... saying that he can't. I'm just saying that yeah. this is a, you know, I've gone for Ratty's size, you know, over, yeah. over his. So it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? This is where I like to use a racehorse in, uh, a horse racing, sorry, comparison. And it's about picking form. And form against the Dragons equates to a, a wet Tuesday at Foslas. It's not Cheltenham Gold Cup winning form. And again, that's not to say that Morgan Morris won't improve. And, um, and, he, he has, and, he and he's well. had a brilliant season. Yeah, he has played well against like Ulster, Munster, what? In, in yeah, yeah. And, and he deserved the call up, but you can only take so many players. And I, I don't know. I, I just, I think Rat. You know, he's in the Six Nations squad, and he sort of had a bit of a. He didn't play, but he had a taste of it. And so yeah, I, I I fractionally prefer Ratty over Morris. What about you, Murph? Well, I think in the absence of um, Wainwright <laughs> and Moriarty, there's a serious lack of size in that back row. Mm. You know, even mm-hmm. Navidi these days seems to be down to his fighting weight. He, he looks less like a blindside now at this weight than uh, than uh, than a seven. Uh, therefore, I, I just you know on on. Uh, Poundage alone, I don't think you've got much uh, uh, option but to take uh, James Ratty because M- Morgan Morris is a small um, number eight. I mean, he's been playing uh, 
on the flank as well lately. But uh, yeah, I think I think without uh, the ability, without the option of um, Moriarty or Wainwright, you haven't got much choice with James Ratty, I don't think. Uh, and again, you know, quite often throughout this season, it's been more a case of who's fit rather than who mm-hmm. you want to take. Um, and that's pretty much, aside from the ratty Morgan Morris option, that's pretty much what we're doing there. It's just taking whoever's available. Well, I, yeah, I, th- I think I don't know. Back row, there are more. There are more options in there, aren't you? Like well, you got say, James Botham, but uh, you got James Botham, yeah. and I, I think on form, he's unlucky to miss out. I just think we've got, we've got, like you've said, there's a lack of size in the back row, mm. and I think does Jim Botham have more chance of becoming a world-class player than James Ratty, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but James Ratty is a bigger lump, and I think that's what we need at the moment. And, you know, he offers you good ball carrying and and the the, the ability to play in the second row as well. And um, so, yeah, I don't know. For me, I, I, I would go for him. And, yeah, it's just down to that. I think we'd, we've got so many brilliant, dynamic, good-over-the-ball back row players in, in Wales, but we're, we're lacking in... In big ball carriers, I think, and and just just general size. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So what? Right, are, we any, are we any closer? <laughs> right. Yeah, so we're going to take ref- we take six open sides. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. Raffle is in. Toby is in. Navidi is in. Jack Morgan is in. Ratty is in. Um, Basham. Steph, Steph says Basham. Basham or both is it? Is that the option? Basham, Basham or Botham or yeah, I mean unless you wanted to take Ellis Jenkins or Ollie Griffiths or or um or someone like that. But what you what do you say, Murph? Uh, versatility versatility wise, in in other words, can play six, seven, eight, I would go Botham. Heavier carrier than Basham, arguably, or not? I'm I'm standing between me now. <laughs> See, I've gone, the, I've gone the other way. I've gone the I've gone the other way now. I'm starting to think. I'm starting to think. Well, you know, the, on the high veld, you know, there's a bit of um, a bit of yeah, bit of ball bobbles loose at the back of a at the back of a rut. Bashes on it. Um, no, I'm go, I would go both of them. I'd go both of them. I mean, okay, well, I'm outnumbered anyways. So. <laughs> whoever goes is you know is going to whoever we take is going to have. A, hard time of it against you know uh, the yeah. South African yeah. back row anyway so and chances are neither of those be starters anyway so we'll yeah. see and um, yeah alright well we'll go we'll go with we'll go with uh, <laughs> with both of them for this one um, right scrum half I think is personally I think it's I mean I, I'm, I'm ignoring Reese Webb now anyone who wants to hear me fawn over Reese Webb listen to the previous five years um, I, and I would go um, I would go on the grounds that, that Pivak's ignoring Webb I would go Thomas Williams Gareth Davis and I would go Kieran Hardy actually uh, Steph I know you're a fan of Rodri Williams um, you, did, did you make his case for this one? Yeah I went Thomas Gareth and Rodri Williams although you could you know the form nine is Lloyd Williams <laughs> Dan Dan is that you? <laughs> uh, um, I went Rodri it's not going to what make about, much what about difference you? because the pack's going to get stuck yeah. there anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Kieran Hardy hasn't been at his best this year for his club, anyway. I, no, uh, he hasn't. He did I have a good second half in recent weeks. He had a good yeah. second half against England in the Six Nations, uh, but 
there's not much in his like for them this season. They, it's not a massive highlight highlight reel from him, uh, like it has been in the past. So it is a good point that Steph makes, and I suppose the only way to call it is what we think. I know this is our side. I'm mean, not supposed to take into consideration mm-hmm. Wayne Pivak, but I think Wayne would be loyal anyway. He'd be loyal to Kieran Hardy. I uh, think he will be. Yeah. So uh, yeah. therefore, we as a trio should take Rodri. <laughs> <laughs> the the, the, inter- the interesting thing I think is um, again it's it's about you know who's got who's got the the opportunity to improve and I'm I'm not necessarily Kieran Hardy's biggest fan if I'm honest I think he's been you know he's been good in in fits and starts he's not had a particularly spectacular season but um, and and Rodri's been you know has been has been really good for the Dragons um, the whole time he's been there I just don't know whether he's whether he's um, got any more to give on international level where there's any more improvement to come from him whereas I think Hardy at least offers you a bit more uh, a bit more pace and um, yeah yeah you know a bit more athleticism that's a good point mm. um, are there any other candidates you could say Dean Black but is he that level I'm not sure Mm. I don't think he's that level yet but I really like him I think he's I think he's a you know, real a real live wire nine well, uh, that's, um, that's... Sorry, that, that's an interesting way to look at it, isn't it? You're looking ahead to the World Cup. So you've got Thomas and Gareth, who are probably nailed on for the World Cup. But, mm. um, there's not many scrum halves coming through, but Rodri's probably deserves a chance, but is he going to get any better? Is mm. it? Would it be why you see the third spot to develop somebody who, by the World Cup or in the next World Cup cycle, could be an 8 out of 10 player? Not that I'm saying that Blacker will be that good. I'm just saying... Mm. Is it a chance to look at somebody else? Is that the way to look at it? Hmm. Um, well, M- Matthew comes on here, reckons that um, he's been playing better than Kieran Hardy for his club. He has. He has. So, without doubt. Yeah. If you pick on form, Blacker goes ahead of Hardy. Hmm. That's all I'm saying. Fuck it, but, I'm in. <laughs> but, yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, but Steph picked Rodri. <laughs> I just think he deserves to be rewarded. And remember, Rodri's always going to pack. I'm going to sound stupid saying this now. Rodri's always going to be behind the pack and stuffed. Mm. If he goes yeah. to South Africa, it's going to be the same, isn't it? But mm. moving forward, if he's behind a, a pack with a bit more of a platform, you know, yeah. I think he's better than what he's shown. So well, I, he was, I just think yeah. he deserves to be rewarded for his performances. He, he was behind a good pack at under twenty level and shone and was the next big yeah. thing and the bright prospect and then ended up. Well, look, it's not just the dragons. Most um, uh, regional sides forwards are normally getting a hiding off an Irish club or a Scottish club anyway. So it's not just Rodri really, but mm-hmm. uh, probably suffers more at the dragons than the other uh, regions. Um, but when he when he was on the front foot as a youngster, he was brilliant. So. Um, it's just whether the age thing. I know Kieran's not a puppy either, so there could be a Dane Blacker argument there. We, we go need on, to Murphy, stop sitting him. on the fence. <laughs> yeah, go on, Black, <laughs> Blacker's in. Both. Blacker, go on, take him. Okay, Blacker. Yeah. Okay, yeah, Blacker, Blacker, Blacker. Fine, Blacker. Yeah. There we go. Right, we're in. Uh, right, outside half uh, candidates: Bigger, Anscombe, Sheedy, Priestland, Costello. Don't say Will Reed. <laughs> I wasn't going to say Will Reed. I'm, 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 I'm being, I'm nurturing these dragons. That's why I wanted to keep Will Kane Reed Basham safe as captain. Yeah, pretty straightforward. Right. The first two in this, it's, big, it's bigger and um, bigger than Anscombe. Yeah, and then this will take third. 
yeah, if Patchell could stay fit for for um, mm. for any period of time, I'd love to. I just wouldn't be in a rush to rush him back for this tour. Yeah. I'm um, I'm gonna make a case for Sam Costello. I knew that was um, coming. <laughs> I, just, I just think what what I like about Costello, and I remember talking to um, Paul Turner, the former Dragons coach, who I respect a lot, when he'd signed. I think I interviewed him when the Scarlets announced that they'd signed him because when he was at Leicester, he, he spent some... T- when he was a real kid, because he's still a kid, but yeah. when he was a baby, spent time alone at Ampton. And what Paul was saying was, when there's a lot of there are a lot of players who look great on the front foot, but what Costello's good at is when, when things don't go his way, like his problem-solving is really good. You know, he's good on the back foot and... When the original game plan doesn't work, he's got the ability to change it. There's a bit of a damn bigger in there. Um, you know, he's small, but he is, that goes against him, but he is brave in defence. And that game against the Ospreys a few weeks back, Anscom got the headlines and you know, he was excellent, but he had an armchair right. But Costello was just as good. And I don't know, with, with Callum Sheedy, I mean, they'd probably stick with Sheedy. And he's a good player, but he's, he's perhaps a bit out of form. But yeah, I, I just. I just think long term, Sheedy at best is seven out of ten. Costello could be nine out of ten, eight nine out of ten in a few years. I mean, I'm being I'm being ambitious here. I'm being a bit bold, but I'm I'm going Costello. But it probably well, should be. Better. I'm inclined to agree. I I don't think Callum Sheedy is anywhere near the player he was when he first broke into the Welsh squad, um, and. Therefore, the same logic we've used with Blacker, you could easily apply. You've got two front front line players, if you like, two first choice players, match day squad players, and then take a youngster to bring them on. And uh, I think that would be a tidy shout because without Patchell being regularly fit, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not interested in taking Reese Priestland. Obviously, I don't think anyone is, no. and uh, I don't think Sheedy's playing as well as he was when he first got on the Welsh club. The one no, to me, yeah. when when Cardiff fans listen to this, presumably you're one of them. They're gonna <laughs> they're gonna really go to town. I mean, because I haven't said Jared Evans, who's been playing really well. Mm. Uh, he's a he's probably the most naturally gifted ten we've got. He's a great attacking ten, but there's still I know Pivak has always had doubts over his game management, and I do share those a little bit in a big game. Mm. He's got the ability, but he still hasn't proved that. When the going gets tough, that he's got the answers to get his team out of trouble, and I've gone Costello because I think he he's got the he's shown he can do that at regional level. Um, but I know Cardiff fans aren't going to be happy with me. So. Well, I, I um, think if anyone wants to make an argument, they have to be in a position where Jared Evans is out and out first choice for Cardiff, and he keep picking a 34, 35 year old in front of him. Something's not right, and so, certainly not enough. Uh, is right to want to put him in a South African tour. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think selection at club level. I don't know. I I, st- I think if it was a big, I think if it was a big game. I think Dyer picked Jared Evans at ten. Um, I think it's probably just a bit of end of season to go back to our point about meaningless rugby. Mm. Bit of end of season rotation. Um, mm. I I love I love watching Jared play, but I'm not I'm not entirely convinced I'd be taking him on this tour. Sheedy, I think, is one of those players that you mentioned who looks a lot better behind a, a pack that's going forward and, and life looks a lot harder when it's going backwards. Um, 
So I, I'm, I'd be quite happy with Costello going, to be honest. Impressive selection, that's, right. that's what I like about it. Yeah, it's good, it's good, this, isn't it? Oh, right, this is where it gets interesting. Yeah. Centres. Stranded, no. Pick, no the ba- no pick, pick the bones out of this one. Um, right, who's fit? Uh, Owen Watkin, George North, uh, Johnny Williams, Nick Tompkins, uh, John Fox, Jack Dixon. Uh, anyone I've missed here? We're going to take four of these, I imagine. Centre's a problem position. They're not going to wave Matt. Mm. Michael Collins. He's not in my squad, but you could look at him. No. Um, it, it gets a lot easier, I think, for the starting 15 selection if George North is fit. Because, it, as yeah. we know, he's gone gone through so many combinations in um, the last uh, 10 months or whatever it is. Uh, if you just decide George is going to play 13, then all you've got to do, is, from Wayne's point of view, is make your mind up who your 12 is. And so you could end up with a settled centre combination for the first time in a long time. But... Um, I'm, yeah. Yeah, I, I, th- I, th- I think I think he'll go. I yeah, know he's not playing much rugby. I think he'll go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He needs Pivak needs all his main weapons available to him. Mm. Um, to, 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 this is damage limitation stuff. I'm not, I'm yeah. not going to shy away from that. But North, at his best, is one of the few world class players we've mm. got. He was prey to his injury. I mean, he, he was. Best rugby was playing for years, uh, mm. and it was a big. Uh, even though he was injured before the Lions selected their squad, I think he would have been in that squad. And I think losing him was a big blow for the Lions. And he's not going to be at his best because I don't think he's fully fit. But I think I think you just got to take the best players, and he's one of them. So I think he's got to go, isn't he? Okay. Who else falls into that bracket? I would make a case for Johnny Williams, if I'm honest. Not in my squad. Hmm. I just I I just think he's no nonsense. He runs hard. He does the does the basics well. I know he had a, he had a stinking uh, stinking bit of ill discipline against uh, against the Ospreys the other week. But I just think in a back line that crabs all the time, I'd be I'd be tempted to take him. But um, I mean, look, Tompkins will go as well, won't he? We know Tompkins will go. Um, Oxy is past his best, but has been playing well for the Scarlets and he's experienced, so he'd probably two work. I I ta- I take him. Only, well, only because we're uh, thin on the ground. If you had any options, mm. you probably wouldn't take... Um, I'm trying to be kind here. Past his best, John Davis, or over the hill. You know, there, there is an argument that Johnny Williams is a better uh, option because he can still move, uh, you know. Mm. Um, mm. But uh, it, once you get past... <laughs> Halaholo's unavailable. Once you get past your first mm. three centres, you, you do start to struggle in... in uh, at the moment in Wales, I mean Owen Watkin. To his credit, you know he, he is playing well. He's one of the form centres. Mm. He has added to his attacking game, which is what the Welsh coaches wanted. But you know, you look at what they'll be up against. Probably if they're <laughs> fit, Lucanio Am and Damien Dalende, and yeah, it's a mismatch, really, isn't it, at the moment? Yeah, I mean we'll we'll look back in years to come at Dalende and Am as like one of those all-time great yeah. centre partnerships. You know the um, the absolute uh, cream of the cream of talent. Um, I, I would I would take Watkin as well. Um, I've many... taken. I've I've had Foxy, North, Tompkins, Watkin, and yeah, that, that's who I've had. I've yeah. done squad. No, he normally takes. They normally take a bare four centres, don't they? Yeah, they will be a bare four. Yeah. So, what do you what do you reckon, Murph? Who would you take? Uh, I. I... Broadly agree with that, but I, I would probably go Johnny Williams over uh, John Fox. 
Okay. I've only gone for John from Fox over on experience. Hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. I can understand why Johnny hmm. Williams would get the nod. All right, let's let's go with that. I would, I, weirdly, I would have gone for John uh, John Fox over Nick Tompkins, which is just my irrational dislike of Nick Tompkins. <laughs> I don't know what it is. You know, he's it's clear well you know, at the moment tear, tearing yeah. it up for Saracens. Mm. So um, yeah, I I, I can't uh, I can't be uh, so petty as that. Um, right, and then a back three. Uh, what are we saying? Six players here. I'm, I'm excited um, about the back three. I was looking through all the it, options yeah. and. This is this is a position where we got a bit of strength. So, uh, do you want to go first, Chad? Uh, yeah, I would take uh, I would take Liam Williams. Um, I would take Josh Adams if he's fit. Uh, I would take uh, Lewis Reese Zamet, uh, especially given it's South Africa, hard ground, all those cliches. Um, I would take Alex Cuthbert. I would take then. This is where it gets interesting. Um, I would take Keelan Giles Oof. Ryan Combia yeah yeah it's a toss up between the two Keelan Giles and then I think wow yeah um, yeah it's between Giles and Combia for me and then I think you have to take McNichol as your kind of um, as your uh, as your cover if, 15 if really fit, if he's fit if I mean I've, fit. I've gone um, Liam Williams Louis Rousseau, Alex Cuthbert, uh, Josh Adams, if, if, with Giles on standby, um, Combia, I like Tom Rogers, and I, but I've gone Johan Lloyd. I've forgotten about Tom Rogers, yeah. Johan Lloyd, because he, he can play anywhere Have you? in the background. Yeah. But I like uh, Rogers, has been injured the last few weeks, but he reminds me of Liam Williams when he was coming through. He's he's a very sort of dangerous attacking player. He's deadly in broken fields, but he's. Um, He's got dog about him as well. He's you know he's good in the high ball. He's he's really aggressive. He is he is prone to um, moments of you know recklessness. Um, but Rogers is no wing. He's a full back. But um, I just I just like him. I just I, I just think it's Matt Proth's role for me is not good enough in defence. So I wouldn't take him. Um, but I, I like Rogers. Um, but Johan Lloyd has utility value. So. I, I think Yoan Lloyd's a really interesting prospect going forward. Uh, would I take him on this tour? Don't know. I mean, look, I'd love that. If Yoan Lloyd is there on the in the in the team when, uh, in the squad when Pivac names it next week, I'd be I'd be delighted. Um, right, what are you saying, Murph? I think Ryan Combi Combi is probably the form um, outside mm, of Free Savage. Yeah, he was sco- sco- that, scoring yeah. mega tries for Gloucester out of nowhere on a regular basis. Uh, uh, Ryan Combi is probably the form. Um, winger in Wales so I think he has to go uh, uh, Ewan Lloyd my only reservation with Ewan Lloyd is we still don't know exactly what he is and mm. the best I've seen him play for Bristol was um, inside centre against yeah. the Scarlets earlier this season uh, but I don't know if he's got the bulk to do that on a regular o- basis obviously the Scarlets gave him an armchair right didn't they in oh yeah Oxford, yeah, so. yeah. It's, but um, what I like yeah, about Combia it's slightly is different that, doing that in South Africa isn't it? Really Combia <laughs> is um, he's a strong bugger isn't he he's very mm. physical like G- Giles was great against the Scarlets he's, he's got electric pace Combia's got pace as well not quite as fast as Giles but He's just so yeah, physical. Yeah, there was the try he scored against the Ospreys. Again, I'm not saying he could do this against the box, but he brushed off Watkins. He swatted aside North with ease. 
Yeah. And there was another defender, you know, he rushed aside to score. He just he just scores tries for fun. And I don't know, I just I just think he's more suited to international rugby than Giles. Yeah, um, it's more suited to the physicality they're going to face as well. Like if there was like a one-on-one tackle, the line, yeah. uh, Keelan Giles would just get rolled over. No doubt in my mm-hmm. mind. But as uh, Combi would make the tackle, I think. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I, I would probably be against Johan Lloyd because I don't, I don't know what he lo- he's built like a nine, but he doesn't play nine. He's played everywhere in the back line apart from nine. This season, I think, unless I'm mistaken. He has uh, but, actually played the yeah. 10 minutes of scrum half. All right, all right. So that's everybody. <laughs> in the that box yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but I, until, you know, for me, until they... I know he can come off the bench and do magic things, and he's really great to watch, but until you, we know exactly what position he is, I, I wouldn't bother with him at international level. Um, and he's not international pace as a winger. You know, and also, I suppose, what goes against him is if he plays in a back three which is where I suppose he would get picked if he played on his tour. Mm-hmm. He'd be behind a pack in tuned. Springboks have the yeah. best kicking game in the world. Pollard will be putting up and unders, um, pinpoint accuracy, and he'll have the likes of DLND and Am and all these guys, Man yeah. Pete yeah. right in his face. I would back Combia and Rogers, for example, if you're going to take kids to, to stand up to that a bit better than... Lloyd. Yeah, I'd be that way inclined, but I, uh, in reality, I think he'd be faithful to McNichol over those youngsters. If he's fit, he will. If he's fit, oh, he's yeah. a, oh, right, okay, yeah, he's a doubt, right? Well, so is Josh Adams. Yeah, so yeah. you know, we could end up with all of those, all, right. all of those kids going. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, look, we we know. Well, it's, right now, Cuthbert's fit, so he goes. Yeah. Lucy Samet is fit. He goes. Liam Liam's fit. He goes. Um, then, based on your arguments, I think you made both of you made solid case for Combeer, so he goes. Um, two, I'd say, wouldn't you? Oh, we take back uh, six backfielders. Hang on, how many have I got? Oh, this is where Steph's gonna Steph's gonna so go for this thing here. One, two, three, <laughs> six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Owen, Owen Lane has gone backwards this season. Yeah, he's not. He never. I didn't, I didn't really consider him for my squad, to be honest. Well, we didn't. We, it tells you everything that we haven't even mentioned him until now. You know, we would have definitely mentioned him last night. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I think it's a little harsh. I don't think he's gone backwards. Um, I think I think he's had some. I think he's he, he played well last couple of weeks, but again, has he got the? It's the, it's the pace for me. Yeah, that's the, is the, he better? Would he be better moving to centre? I think he's got better potential as centre, but you know, yeah, probably does. Club level, doesn't he? But he never he never plays there. Like everyone always talks about this as Owen Lane. Oh, you know, yeah, he's he, he yeah. potentially a really good centre. But I've seen him play one game there. I think you know when he'll get his opportunity um, in a Six Nations game. Yeah, against. Yeah, having like never done England, it for probably. his club before. Right. That's when it'll happen. Yeah. Right. Well, so, yeah. so this this is it then, right? Liam Williams, Ryan Convey, Lewis Rees, Samet, Alex Cuthbert, and then you're right, Murph. It's only one, so it's either um, Rogers, Adams, McNichol, or Rogers. So if it's fit, if it's, if Adams is fit, he goes. Hmm. Um, so what we know, we're assuming he is fit. If he's not, yeah. I'm going to go Rodgers. But yeah, all right, I'm 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 with you on him on the standby list. Again, they haven't ruled they haven't ruled him out to the tour, have they, um, Josh? So he must be him with a chance because, like no. I say, Halaholo's been ruled out and various other people have been ruled out now. So they've got to be sensible as well, don't they? they, they these boys are going to play a lot of brutal rugby before mm. the World Cup. Yeah. Why risk Josh Adams if he's not 
Yeah, and and also, you know, yeah. he didn't have a he didn't have a summer off. He was on the Lions tour last summer, so yeah, exactly. he's, you know he's on a on a long season at the moment. So and he missed be... the birth, um, missed the birth of his child as well. I think yeah, yeah. he deserves a bit of time off. So yeah. as you say, why risk him if he's not hundred percent fit? Mm. What's the point? Um, yeah. yeah. Well, we won't have long to find out until uh, until Pivac names his side next week, oh, and we'll be back to uh, this week, to react. It? it is next oh, week, amazing. yeah, okay. I believe so. Um, unless I've completely made that up. Um, Tuesday, there you go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll be reacting to that next week. Uh, I promised Steph it'd be a quick podcast, and it has not. Never so are. thanks, uh, thanks for your <laughs> uh, thanks for your uh, thanks for your patience. Murph knows me too well that uh, if I was to tell him that lie, uh, he'd have completely ignored it. Um, so thanks, thanks both of you for uh, for joining. Thank you to everyone for listening, and as always, a thanks to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. You can get some top quality coffee at SoCoffeeTrades.co.uk. Right, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.